welcome to Chinuch 2.0, a show about the massive changes happening to how we do Chinuch, some of which may never be the same again. On this show, we have the schos of interviewing the renowned principal of Hebrew Academy of Long Beach Lower School, Mr. Richard Altaby. Mr. Altaby has years of experience in the chinuch profession. And besides his responsibilities of running an entire school with a few hundred students, he's very involved in dealing with government officials in connection with all our yeshivas. He's especially busy now with all the issues surrounding if school is reopening in September, which is still very much up in the air. I'm so grateful for him making the time today for this conversation, which he managed to squeeze in between all the meetings about school reopening with Aguda, Nassau County, and many others. As he told me before we started recording, at this point, I'll do anything to finally get my students into the building again. The reason why I especially wanted to interview Mr. Altaby is because anyone who knows how, and I'm very familiar with their school being that I live nearby and many children in my neighborhood go there, is that they know that they're a school that very much embraces the use of technology in teaching. We've had a few shows about using technology in education, but HALB is a school that really utilizes it well and have been doing so for many years. Chenuch 2.0 is a show which is about changes happening to the way we do chinuch. And HALB is a real example of how to successfully implement the new technology that's available for the benefit of our children's development. During the interview, Mr. Altaby showed a live demo of the HALB at Home program that was set up during the corona closure, which is unbelievable and how well thought out and organized everything was. And I encourage you to take a look at the video that's linked in the show notes so that you could see it yourself. The main benefit of using technology in the classroom is not to replace the rebbeim or the teacher. On the contrary, the program helps the material be taught not just to the middle of the class, but instead is able to reach each and every student on their level. Mr. Altaby tells us how he is even able to have special needs kids integrated into a regular classroom while managing for them to learn on their level. We also spoke about the reasons why so many communities are reluctant to use technology in the classroom because the kids need to connect to the internet and how he and his school feel about that matter. And I encourage you to wait around to the end of the show where we speak about the challenges and the advantages of having a school with a diverse group of backgrounds. And he shares his own personal experiences growing up as a non-from kid in HALP. This was a great interview, and I really enjoyed it thoroughly. Hi, Mr. Altaby. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Okay, so we want to stay clear of any corona-related topics, at least to start. So I'll even take before a break from Corona, I'm all in. Let's do it. <laughs> exactly. So even before Corona, uh, your school is well known for being a very, uh, very avid user of technology. 
So what do you think, in your opinion, what place does technology have in education for both Hebrew and general studies? Okay, in my opinion, the advantage of technology is twofold. One, it individualizes instruction to the child. Normally, when you, a Rebbe or a Murrah or a teacher teaches a class, you have to teach to the middle, right? Because you have kids on a higher level, lower level, middle level. Even if you do groupings in the room, which teach, good teachers do, it's still not always going to be 100% accurate, really de delivering the content to the child that the child needs for his abilities or her abilities. And when you could do digital instruction and you can get the right types of educational programming, both in Remude Kodesh and Chol, um, that allows kids to access information that they need at their level, you can actually see student growth. So the balance between, I don't believe you should go all technology because you need the teacher to you know, give chizik encouragement, the relationship is so important. So I would never want to see us go completely technology, but in a blended learning model, which is what we have at HAL, um, I think it's an ideal balance between the use, using the technology and, and getting the personal touch. Mm -hmm. So could you give us just a brief description of how it works, how it's practically used in the classroom? Sure. Um, I should have brought pictures, but I don't have pictures to show you. But basically in our blended learning classrooms, what we have set up is instead of the kids sitting at desks, they sit at tables. And then around the tables in the back of the classroom are computers. So let's say you have 25 kids in the class, or let's say 24 is a better number. The half of them will be sitting at the tables. Half of them will be sitting on the computers in what's called a rotational model. So in the rotational model, you put the kids on the computers for 20 minutes, let's say working on math, while those 12 kids are sitting at the tables uh, at the computers working on math, the other 12 kids are sitting at these tables and you can divide them up into let's say three groups of four, four groups of three, and you can have people working with each group. So you take the teacher and the assistant and the teacher could take three, four, five kids, the assistant could take three, four, five, whatever kids. If there's a, uh, a need for kids to get more intensive support, we can have a learning center instructor come into the room to provide support also. And what you then get is real personalized instruction. And how do we know who to put where? We get the data from the computer system. So since we're tracking how kids do every single day, we know in real time who's succeeding and who's not, who needs help, who doesn't need help. And we are actually focusing and, and aligning the curriculum that we deliver to the children to the level of the student. Now, this has been going on in our building in, in Limude Chol for about six years. Uh, this past year, we started doing this in Limude Kodesh in second grade Chumash. Okay, now, we, like a lot of schools, use the Lahavan program to teach Chumash, introductory to Chumash, and it's very focused on the diktuk, the sharesh, the prefixes, the suffixes, and all that. It's a lot of rote work because the kids have to sort of memorize all the different uh, sharashim. They have to memorize how, you know, when to use prefixes and what they do and what the suffixes do. It's a difficult, it's difficult to take kids from basic reading of Hebrew to, to Chumash, obviously. Um, and there's a lot of need for Hazara. What we found with this program called Lom Day, um, that Lom Day gives you the ability to do exercises on a computer really quick um, with immediate feedback to the kid. Um, uh, so that the kids can really practice everything. In fact, right now, as we speak, I popped up a long day to every single child in my school, first to fifth grade, uh, second to fifth grade, and they at night, when they come home from camp or whatever, they could just go on and do Hazara of the basic skills that we're trying to teach in Chumash so that they don't lose anything. I mean, I am envisioning that when the kids come back to school, they will be far ahead of where they would have been had I not been doing this, okay, because Hazara is so important. And now our kids in our schools don't necessarily go to the camps that have 
strong learning programs. Like, you know, the more you see usually kids go to camps that have their yeah. learning all summer long. Right? No, no camp has a strong learning program. Uh, whatever, you know what I'm saying. It's at yeah, least, exactly. At least, I mean, when I ran Simcha Day Camp back in the 90s, I had Rebeam and we had right. Chumashim and the kids learned in the Chumash. So at least they saw the words, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Even right. if they weren't intensively studying, they saw the words. And, you know, in a more... Um, uh, I don't know, more modern orthodox day camps, the level of chinuch, they get chinuch, but not that way, not in a text, more stories and parashat type of learning with sheets, but they don't really learn inside of a text. So this is a way for the kids to really continue their learning in text while they're on summer vacation. So it's good. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit, based on the way you were describing the setup, it, it turns out the teachers are, are doing all the teaching and the computer's just measuring the child's skills and reviewing. Is that how it's done? Well, the computer programs that we use do teach, meaning let's say you, you're trying to do a math problem and you get it wrong. It, it's going to, you know, take you back slower until you get it. You know what I'm saying? They're going to give you, they, it has a feature where it shows you how to do the problem. So you don't have to be stuck, you know, forever on the same place. So it does teach. But yeah, the teachers are doing the teaching. The computers are doing the monitoring and the kids are gaining in skills. I mean, a lot of yeshivas out there have the Grist computer labs. And I know I came from yeshiva that had a Grist computer lab. So this is taking the Grist Computer Lab situation to the next level. The, the, the Grist Computer Labs are amazing. That was the beginning. You know, 20 years ago when they started with that, it, it was the beginning of getting real data to, to, to see what kids were at in reading and math. Um, the level of the programs we're using now are way beyond what those programs are and that they do do some teaching and it, it, it's really excellent. And the data that we get is a better, better data and we get it quicker. So, mm-hmm. big plus. Were you able to clearly see better outcomes as a result of using this, these, these programs, both no the and with the Kaddish? Yes, no question. Our, uh, you know, our state testing scores improved, um, I don't know, by 10% at least. Now, and now uh, our ability to deliver uh, instruction to the kids who are weaker is far better than ever before. They, you know, you have kids with special needs in the classroom, you could reach them. We, we even, out of this whole program, created something called an integrated uh, a learning classroom where you have a special ed teacher and a regular teacher together. So I was able to integrate up to six special ed children into a regular classroom of 24. And those kids are like everybody else, but the level of their learning is to their needs and it's seamless. It's beautiful. And you know what? We were able to build those kids for, w- within three years from a level where they were, let's say, two years below grade level to, let's say, a half year to a year below grade level. And that's a game changer in a kid's life because. A, class, a normal classroom environment can deal with a kid that's up to a year below grade level. But when you're two, two years, you're like an outlier, you can't function. Then you have to get special ed. You have to go to self-contained schools. We're saving kids. That's what I really feel. We're really saving kids. Unbelievable. So, and what about the, the brighter kids, the more gifted kids? I know it's, it's a, it's a big problem. They want. They're not locked in, right? Because now, you know, I have a girl in third grade who's, who's probably doing math on a middle school level, sixth, seventh grade. Okay, the computer enables her the ability to just keep going. You mm-hmm. know, she doesn't have to stop. She's not locked in. Mm-hmm. So I think it's beautiful. I think it, it really provides opportunities for the, for the smarter kids to get what they need as well. Mm-hmm. So, so with regards to the teachers, the t- teachers were they, 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 they were teaching for a while, and originally they weren't using this system. And then you're introducing the system. Uh, they, were they resistant time. to it in oh, the beginning? Uh, yes, teachers were resistant. Of course, they were resistant because. In order to get this done, the, the biggest challenge was not the computer. The biggest challenge was structuring the time. In other words, if you're teaching on a rotational basis, 20 minutes and 20 minutes, then you really have to teach what you need to teach in that 20 minutes, right? And you have to be able to function in the, in the uh, 
system awesome. of the schedule. So that I think was the biggest challenge. Over time, they got used to it. But you know, mm-hmm. are they are they happy with it? Like, do they see the results? They see the benefits. So they're happy in the sense that they see their kids growing. They do miss being able to do the fluffier parts of teaching that you know require open-ended slots of time that they don't get anymore. So mm-hmm. we try to build that in on Fridays a little bit for them so that they can still do some of those you know fluffy project type of things. I'm not again. I'm not against fluffy projects. They're beautiful, um, but you know there's skills building and then there's you know, experiential learning that also has a value. We try to balance those two, but but sometimes when you only go experiential and it's very motivating, you have this amazing teacher, everybody loves the teacher because the kids are so motivated and interested, but then you lose the skills and you turn around three years later, it was very nice to have cotton candy for three years, but what do I know? You know, now we're able to really give meat and potatoes and where the teacher comes up with a, an idea that, is, is a nice project idea that might take two, three weeks. They have to really think about it, plan it, and use the time accordingly. So we didn't, we didn't lose those things. We just made the teachers think about the use of time much better. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when, when your school was closed dur- during the pandemic, how did this, did this system of technology, did it help you be oh, able to good. teach them? Yeah, if you don't mind, I'm going to share a screen. I want to show you what we did. I think it's sure. incredible. I, I just do. I'm very proud of it. Okay, so we, we, we uh, came up with something called Halbert Home. Here it is, Halbert Home. Yeah, so we're watching on the screen now. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's if anybody wants, cool. they could go to the show notes and see in the link. There'll be a link showing the video of this. So the teachers in the Urbane were responsible for preparing the, this whole elaborate yes. schedule? Yes, with wow. me. With me. <laughs> okay. I, was, I, I, I will tell you like this, just so you, you'll appreciate this. Um, I felt that running a Zoom school was sort of like running live TV in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. If something went wrong, you had to deal with it in that setting. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, I would be like working with somebody, having a meeting. I get a text from a parent. Uh, something that you know the program went down. Not working. Yeah, my like, Zoom's not connected. We had one day. This is hysterical. We had one day where the, the uh, internet went out in the entire building. Okay, and I was running. I mean, the people doing it from home was no problem, but I was running. Um, a virtual tour for the kindergarten to see what the first grade looks like. And in the middle of that tour, the internet went down. Like, <laughs> those kind of things like, oh my God, now you got to do what you got to do. You know, the technology is always buggy and you have to kind of work with it. Mm-hmm. What else? So, okay. So talking about technology, obviously your school is an outlier. Most from schools avoid technology like the plague. Sure. So you obviously, and what's your feelings about this? the fact that that the students are going to have internet access and there's a lot of dangers with ch- children having of course, internet of course. access. I, I, you, what I do can't be replicated in from schools, obviously, for obvious reasons. However, what I do could be replicated if you start to get creative. Like, look what happened with the Zoom, right? Everybody started with the telephones because they, they didn't have any other choice. Mm-hmm. And then a good chunk of the from school realized it wasn't working and somebody had a chop to take the, you know, to kind of take an iPad and knock out all the access to the internet, and then say, just have Zoom, and poof, they had these like kosher Zoom, uh, uh, you know, iPads that they were giving out, and they weren't giving out, they were selling them. But, I mean, that was a way around it, right? You could take a Kindle, you could take any of any device can be um, set up in such a way that you can filter, not just filter, you can remove access to links to the internet and still get the advantages of what the internet could offer. Mm-hmm. It really just takes a hop. Now, uh, you know, there are schools that say, well, you know, kids can get around. And kids are very savvy. I mean, really, kids can get around almost anything. Um, 
we have to figure out, work with companies, and find ways to uh, get around the problems and the, and the challenges of the internet so that we could use what's good about the internet. And I, I believe it's possible. I just, to say it's, you know, to, to take an object and call it usser, you know, it's the person, not the object, right? It's the, it's the gavra, not the chefsa, like mm -hmm. what I was just saying, okay? The mm -hmm. gavra is the one who's going to be challenged to have a yetzahara to do the wrong thing on the internet. The chefsa of the internet is no different than the chefsa of a telephone, it's, and we just have to figure out how to use it in a kosher way. So, mm -hmm. and... and you don't believe that there's anything inherently wrong with the internet, like Torah learned over the internet doesn't count. Uh, no, now you're asking me questions. I'm not a gadol, I'm not a rav, I'm not anything. No, but you, you, like you, you, I got to look at like this. If it weren't for the fact that there was Zoom ability for the Russia yeshiva of America to still get out their message, we would have been completely devoid of Torah learning for the last four months. Now, yes, people who are of a certain focus and, and dedication to learning, could sit and learn Harusa over the phone and without visuals, and it works. And that is not Klaishal. That's a chilek of Klaishal. And Baruch Hashem, we have that chilek of people who along the Torah on such a rigorous level that, that, that nothing will stop them to learn on the phone. But for the rest of the Hamon Am, we would have been cast into darkness had we not had access to all the shirim and all the ways that we got Torah the last three, four months. Mm -hmm. that's, that's my opinion. Okay. What's your feeling about children having their own devices, like their own smartphone? What's your, what, what's your thought about that? Obviously, with your school, they're going to need to have iPads or whatever it is to connect to their... I, I, again, each community is its own mara, you know, mara hetter, right? They have to decide. Every family has its own values and, and ideas, right? For some families, they don't want to ever have a phone. For some families, they don't want the kids to have phones until high school. Some families want to do it younger. Um, in my environment, the way we're dealing with it is knowing that the kids will get the phone. It's a mitzvah. It's not a question. So I can answer it. Knowing that they will have access to phones. What we start in third grade, we do a very major digital citizenship project learning throughout all our computer classes, so the kids learn how to be safe on the internet. I think if you're going to have it, if you are going to be in a house where you're going to use it, you must learn how to use it safely. So I think every school has to kind of evaluate for itself where they're holding. You know, in in, in the, the place of Kaddish Kedoshim, you know, where they're never going to have it, Baruch Hashem, they don't have to deal with the problem. For the rest of Israel, where they are going to have it at some point, you can't just let them get it and not deal with it in reality. They need Hadracha, just like anything else, just like a car. You get a car. You're going to put a kid in a car and let them drive around without teaching them the rules of safety so they don't get hurt? Same thing. If you're going to give a kid access to the internet, you have to give them a way to use it safely. So I, I believe that's the strongest way to go. I know a lot of other issues have agree with that approach. I, I think as, as time goes on, there's no other approach. That's the only approach that we could be realistic about unless you're fortunate to live in a, you know, in a cocooned environment that is Kulo Torah and, and those devices are not necessary, which is, uh, if that could be, Baruch Hashem, that could be. You know, I would never tell Rav Aaron Leib Steinman, you know, is that solved to go get a computer and have internet. I mean, it would be ridiculous, right? Because what does it have to do with him? Right. But, but there's a rea there's a reality, and we need to be realistic about kids. That's all. So, so, but the kids do end up having their own devices when they're in your school. Yes, like, your school. Yes, but it's a mitzvah of the of the uh, my kid. My school has a a YU centrist modern Orthodox population. Just to use terminology, mm -hmm. right? Does that mean they're goyim? No, they you know the parents, the fathers are learning and going to minion three times a day, and they have shirim and they're learning daf sure. and they're good people. You know, and the women cover their hair a lot. I would say 50, 60% of my school is women covering their hair. It's a beautiful a group of people, you know, 
Tamimistika people, but they're living in the modern world. That's their approach. They're going to have to have access. So it's our job to make sure they have access in a safe way. To leave it after is irresponsible. Right. I, all I'm saying is if you're in a firmer place, but you're in a, you know, in a neighborhood that I won't say, name neighborhoods, but if you're in a neighborhood where um, kids are going to have access and families are going to have access to devices and the internet, then it's on you as the school to train parents and children on how to be safe. That's all. At whatever time period it, where it makes sense to do. Like for us, third grade is the place to do it. And, and, and you do it ongoing after third grade as well? Like you keep it? Third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, all the way up. Mm -hmm. okay. All the way up. Great. Okay. I know you're busy. Just one more question, if you don't mind. Sure. Okay. So it, it, being a school that's in a modern Orthodox community, so you attract a vast body of students from all across the yeah. spectrum of nice different case. communities. Yeah. It's a great right. Right, so so a lot of different uh, students come from a lot of different homes. Some are stronger religious homes, some are less strict. Correct. So, how does this work out in a practical sense when when compared with the model of other communities that are very into having a homogeneous type of parent body? I have a very strong opinion on this. This is the the most beautiful way you could have school is if you have diversity. Yes, you obviously have to be careful. So it's on the parent, right? I'm in a school, and I'm not going to talk about my school. Let's say you're in a school, yeshiva school but it has a broad population and you have a Balchuva family that may not be holding like you're holding, right? So then what do you do? You exclude the Balchuva? No, you invite the Balchuva kid to your house and let them play in your house so that he can learn your values and he could be influenced the right way. That's how I grew up, okay? I, I came from a completely non-from family, complete, right? I was zoked to go to the school on principle of the Hebrew Academy of Long Beach. My friends took me in on Shabbos. I saw Shabbos tables. I saw what it's supposed to look like. It was normal. It's, even though my parents weren't from, I grew up normal with Frumkite in my life because I was in the social connection of, of the Frum community of the town. I wasn't, I wasn't disconnected. I was part of something from the very beginning. So on the atypical Balchuva, because it's not like I found God all of a sudden one day, I, I sort of kind of seamlessly went to it because that's what my friends were doing. Ah, my parents weren't, but that was my parents. They were very supportive. So I think if we want to be normal about things and we care about class, well, I, I think we can build communities that have diversity in their schools without stigmatizing the kids, you know, and families, right? Oh, this, you know, and, and I'm not going to disparage anybody, but I, I really think that, yes, if a family is not willing to buy into the system that you have, they don't belong in your school. So, like, if you have a school that's internet-free and the family is going to give the kid a smartphone, that, kid, that family doesn't belong. But... If the family's coming into, I, I had an interview the other day. I'll give you an example. We had a family, the the parents, um, Bali Chuba, right? They weren't sure. I'm not sure that they're going to send to me or not, but they want to know about our attitudes. You know, how are we, the parents, going to fit into your school since your values are firmer than our values? And I said, listen, as long as you support what we're doing, we don't care what you're doing. As long as you support what we're doing and then you, you grow, why not? You know, and I've seen it. I, I, you know, I was in Darkei Torah for 18 years. Do you think the entire Yeshiva Darkei Torah was lockstep, you know, Haredi? Absolutely not. And you know how many families went to Darkei Torah, started out one way and came out a different way? It was unbelievable, right? Not because Darkei Torah was a cure of Yeshiva, but because Darkei Torah was a, a caring place where the Rebbe made connections with kids and the kids grew. And you have kids who come from families, the Balabatisha families and modern families, and the kids are not just wearing black hats, but they're learning Torah, Lol and Bud in Kolo, right? You know, I, my son's in Kolo. Did I ever expect that I would have a son learning in Kolo? No, I have a son-in-law in Kolo for 15 years. Did I ever expect that I'd be supporting a guy for 15 years? 
I didn't. But guess what? Because I was in a system that was so inviting and encouraging and growth and all that. So you grow. That's what happens. So I think that's what we have to be because Klai is not a limited little chalik of the world like 10 people. You know, Klai is a big Klai and we need as many people as possible to jump on board what we what we believe in and to believe in it wholesomely. And, and we're going to see a much better world that way. So yes, mm. you have to have precautions. Yes, you have to be careful. Yes, you don't want to have parents with that on the page. I get that. But to stigmatize people and just say no because they do, they are slightly different than you, I think is horrible. So. And what about the hashpa on the stronger kids, the kids from stronger backgrounds? Is, is that an issue? Do you see that being an issue more in a, in a, in a blended, a diverse child, school? A child from a stronger background will be stronger if he deals in a diverse environment. I, that's, that's true whether it's academics and that's true whether it's hashkafa. If you are in a class and you do whatever you do, and then it, your friend says, why do you do that? And then you explain it to them. Then you're actually going to be cognizant of why I do that. Why do I wash before I eat? Why? Right? If I just did it wrote my whole life because that's what I do and I never thought about it, then, then I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just a, a robot. And then the first challenge that comes along and says, I'll do something differently. And then wait, maybe the guy will be attracted to do something else. But if you're really firmly believing in what you are and who you are and you come from that strong family, so sharing is the best way of growing. I, I have never seen a kid fall because he was in a diverse environment. I, I only saw a game. And I think those people who came from that, who now are leaders in Clydesville, they're the, they're the best leaders in Clydesville because they had that diverse experience. You know? Yes. Okay. Well said. Thank you very much, Mr. Altabi. I really appreciate it. And, and your, your, your chizuk and, and your dedication to, to chinuch is, is unparalleled. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure doing this. I'm, I wish you the best of luck in what you do. You've been listening to Chinuch 2.0, a show exploring the changes happening to how we do Chinuch. Chinuch 2.0 is hosted and produced by me, Aaron Parnas. Special thanks to David Lichtenstein of Headlines, who inspires the show. You can subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts or on our website, chinuchshow.com. For suggestions, comments, or guests' ideas, please visit chinuchshow.com. Thanks for listening.